Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Raymonde and David Sofer. Aleim Shalom, Lilunish Matem, David Moshe Ben Aima, Simcha Bat Hana, Aleim Shalom, sponsored by the son Edward Sofer. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated as well in loving memory of Meir's mother, Rivka Kohen, Aleim Shalom, Lilunish Mat, Rivka Bat Morvari, Aleim Shalom, sponsored by Glory and Mayor Kohen. Breakfast on the class is dedicated in loving memory of Rachel Shami, Aleha Shalom, Lunishmat Rachel Bat Mazal, sponsored by Moises Shami. Uh, breakfast as well is donated in loving memory of Herman Haizabidi, Aleha Shalom, Lunishmat Haim Ben Marhuba, Aleha Shalom, sponsored by his son Jack Zabidi. Um, did we get all of them? I think we got all of them. Okay. Our, our parasha begins. By asking us, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Please, take for me a donation from all of the Jewish people. And our rabbis point out to begin uh, this concept of the simichut. There's an idea in teaching uh, Judaism that we've had many times before where we are doresh semichot, or semichut. What does that mean? Where you have one verse or one parasha that appears next to another one, there's a reason why we put this one next to that one. Why are these two things juxtaposed? Sometimes even, in order to have one story next to another story, what will we do? We'll change the timeline of events. Because the main point of the Torah is not to re- relate the history of the Jewish people, but rather to be able to communicate the laws that make up the body of what Torah is supposed to be. An instruction manual for how we live our lives. And if that's the case, so therefore <clears throat> the chronology is secondary to the, uh, to the message. So listen to this, Rabotai. The Sefarim write, why is it that we put Tirumah after um, Mishpatim? And again, there's a big machloket amongst the Rishonim as to how the timeline actually worked out over here. Did Yitro come before Matan Torah or after Matan Torah? Was he before Mount Sinai or after? Were they commanded in the laws to build the Mishkan before they got Har Sinai or after they got Har Sinai? In fact, there's some opinions that say that part of the reason why they messed up with the Egel Hazav, with the golden calf, was because they had already heard the laws of creating golden objects uh, using symbolism. So they were, tr- they were trying to use their own version of symbolism in creating the golden calf. Again, so these ideas and the way we look at the stories and indeed the lessons that we take depend on how one understands the chronological and sequence um, uh, of these ideas and these laws leading to this point. However, Rabotai, I would like to uh, offer a, another interpretation that I saw that talks about the Simichot. And this is something which I think is very special. And the idea goes as follows. You know, all of uh, Mishpatim, what does it deal with? It deals with the laws, torts, like they say. What money is mine? What money is yours? If I watched an object and I was negligent, I have to pay you. If I interacted with the servant this way, this is what I have to do for him. Uh, If I damaged you by one of my objects, my, my shor, my hamor, you know, my say, my salva, all these different things. If I lit a fire, you know, if I left a bore, etc., etc. If I did all these things, I have to pay you. And there's an obligation on a person to be able to, to make restitution for those things. If I know that your money is yours, if we've learned parashat mishpatim together, 
If the money belongs to you, then you have a right to be able to give it to me. But until we know that the money is yours, Borei Olam says, I don't want it. Keep it. Right? God says, Give for me Israel. I want the Tirumah to come from each person. Not the money that comes from someone else. I've shared this with you before. I had a fellow the other day, or the other day, the other year, uh, a man came to me from London and he said to me, Rabbi, I want to make a donation. What's a donation? $3,726. So, you know, I'm Sephardi. I'm already trying to think which name of God, how many times, you know, which Malachim, you know, is that the names of all the Shivatim, you know, is that Parashat Bereshit Gematria? I don't know. Well, all the letters together, you know, what I said, I said, what's the significance of $3,726? <laughs> I was waiting to hear some uh, very special, very significant, very spiritual idea. And he said to me, Rabbi, I got this money. It's, uh, I don't really feel right that I have the money. It's a little bit, it was a little bit inappropriate, a little bit shady that I got the money. He says, I don't feel like, I don't feel like it's right that I should keep it. I decided to give it to Sadaqah to, uh, to the synagogue. I said to him, Rohi, you don't feel good about the money. Give it back to the person that you don't feel good about taking it from. <laughs> don't give it to me. Some people think that the essence of Sadaqah is like spiritual money laundering. <laughs> right? I don't, I'm not, you know, I, the money's not kosher. Let me kosher the money and send it to the knees. It doesn't work that way, Rabbi I just want to re reiterate this, both for the people here and for everyone. We do not have a washing machine here in the synagogue. I just, we need to, we cannot clean your money. This is not how it works. Both in this world and in the next. Right? It doesn't work that way. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, let's go through a meticulous understanding of whose money is yours, who's, which, what money is yours, what money belongs you owe to somebody else? Once you've taken care of all those debts and all those things, now, now it's another thing. I remember I had someone once come to me crying and he says, this guy, he owes me money for a long time. I said, okay, what do you want from me? He says, he keeps giving donations to the shul. I said, okay, what do you want from me? He says, tell him to stop giving donations to the shul until he pays me up. I said, what do you want from me? No, I'm joking. <laughs> right? I said, it's actually an excellent point. I said, I don't know if I'm gonna tell the guy that way, um, but I'll, I'll look for the right opportunity to say it. Now that's money that does belong to him. But how are you being so free in donating all this money to tzedakah when you haven't taken care of your responsibilities? Right? You have chiyuvim here. You have to make sure that you've uh, you know, cleared, cleared your books. Me'et from all of the Jewish people I'm happy to take. But each Jew should give me their own tirumah that belongs to them. Now, I need, I need to kind of explain this, because many of you who have been listening to this class before know that what I love to do more than anything else is take a point, drive it down to its most, uh, you know, purest form, and then once we have it in its purest form, we're able to understand how to extrapolate that to other things. I think what the Torah is communicating here is that you can't make something kosher b'di'evid. Something is kosher l'chatechila, not b'di'evid. Now, again, let me explain what that means, because that sounds like a confusing idea. You know, if you did something wrong, then the way to fix the thing that you did wrong is not to do another thing right. I think that's the crux of this idea. You don't do another thing right. Guy feels bad, he didn't go to shul this week, so what does he do? He gives a donation. Guy feels bad, he's not studying Torah anymore, so he pays 
for a Torah scholar, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sponsor some guy this month in the Kolel. That and that are both beautiful, but it doesn't make, one doesn't make up for the other. We need to fix, when we create a bore, a ditch in the road, right, what do you do? Imagine the logic over here. You have a ditch in the road. What's the halakha if you dig a ditch? You have to cover it up, right? We just read about it last week's parasha. Could you imagine a guy that he takes all the dirt from the bore, the exact amount that he would need to fill up the pit. He packs it together. He even makes a, a, a mold that fits the hole exactly out of concrete in a lab. He takes the mold and he goes next to the, the pit and he stands it up upside down. So now there's a pit that goes like this. And then there's the filler of the pit that goes like this. What does the guy have now? Now he has two bores. One that goes down and one that goes up. Trying to fix the mitzvah by doing something else to fix it is actually not doing anything at all. And on some level, this guy was giving donations when he still owes somebody's money, somebody money. It's not just that he didn't pay off. It's that he's, he's tainting the misvot of tzedakah that he's doing because it's the other fellow is watching him give this money to everything else but to the person that he, deserves, he owes the money to. That is a very powerful yesod, okay? On a certain level, that's considered to be something that's called mitzvah haba ba'avera, mitzvah, a mitzvah that comes through a sin, right? That's a, that's a very powerful thing that. Someone said to me once, <clears throat> Rabbi, you know, uh, um, there's a... There's a uh, <clears throat> there's a, 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 a new building that you, I know that you want to buy. This was in London. There's a new building that you guys want to buy and we want to, you know, we want to, we want to build the building. And he says, and I would like to put my family's name on it. I said, okay. I said, do you want to know the cost for the name on it? He goes, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this yet. He said, but if, if, if we do it, if we do it, he goes, so then maybe I would cover all the costs. I said, that's very generous, very generous. And in the end, by the way, usually, like the Pasuk says, Lashon Middaberet Gidolot, a tongue that speaks very large. People that speak so large usually do nothing. Like the Pasuk said, like the, what the Chazal tell us about Abraham Avinu and Ephron, a person should be a Mormaat Ve'aseharbe. Speak a little and do a lot. Ephron is like, sure, I'll t- you take the kever for free. And then by the time they finish this little negotiation, he winds up charging an absolute fortune of money, you know, you know, many, many more times than the value of the kever itself. So a lot of times people who speak very large, not only do they under-deliver, they don't deliver at all, okay? Avraham actually does the opposite. He tells the angels, like, have a little bit of water. I'll give you bread and water, like. And then he makes a, a feast, you know, fit for a king, right? So um, this guy was like that, and he came to me and he said, you know, if I do it, in a, and in the end, like I said, it, nothing happened from it. But I was reminded of a very powerful uh, experience from, uh, from Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, I believe it was. When he was building a yeshiva, there was a man who came to him and said, Rabbi, I love the idea. I want to pay for the entire project. And Rav Chaim Shmulevit said, you can't build something where one person paid for the entire project. You can build a building, no doubt, no problem. You know, you can build a, an apartment building, you can build a, a mall, no problem. 
But when you're trying to build something that belongs to the Jewish people, it has to come at call Israel from all of the Jewish people. Everybody needs to have a part. And I thought, you know, not only is, uh, is there this message kind of strong because uh, it comes, it follows Mishpatim, it's also strong because it's almost uh, a yearly occurrence that the Parashah Mishpatim um, follows, besides for follow, the, the Parashah of Turumat, besides for following Mishpatim, follows also Parashat Shekalim. In Shekalim we learned that there's an idea that every single Jew gives a half of a shekel. The rich person doesn't give more, even though he can give more. Even if he wants to give more, he can't give more. He's limited to the half a shekel. The poor person, what does he give? A half a shekel. So this is a fascinating thing. Now, I mean, tell that to AOC and the Democrats. They would pass away on the spot. What, you mean everyone should give the same amount of money? No, what are you talking about? The rich, but we have to tax the rich. Tax the rich. Had that selling sweatshirts, AOC, with the words tax the rich on it for $65. Who's making that money? Yishtabach shemo. shemo. Socialists who uh, masquerade as communists who are actually capitalists, okay? Now, Rabotai, there's something here that's very powerful, I think, right? Why are we making this law? Why do we do that? Why don't we say everyone should give 10% of their money? That's also I have a much better idea than God. God's like half a shekel for everybody. Everyone's the same. I have a same, great idea. Let's make it the same. Percentage. Everybody gives 10%. Everyone's equal. Everyone gave 10% of what they have. No. Because bottom line, even if Jeff Bezos gives 10% of his money to Sadaqah and I give 10% of my money to Sadaqah, at the end of the day, even if we gave the same, Bezos feels like he has more. Bezos feels like he gave more. Our world feels like he gave more. In terms of Bore Olam, that would be a very good idea. Because in terms of God, as we know, lefum tsara agra, according to the effort is the reward. So if it cost me 10%, it cost them 10%, the feeling is the same. A guy going up to the Torah giving $1,000 when he's a billionaire, and a guy going up to the Torah and giving $18 when he doesn't have a job, you know, the guy giving 18 might actually be better in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, 10% is an equitable solution. But in the eyes of man, it's not. And the Jewish people, when they walked into the Mikdash, into the Mishkan, everyone needed to feel this is my place as much as it is. And I belong here as much as he does. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu says, We wanted the passion, the energy, the excitement, the donation of every Jew to be equivalent in the building of this Mishkan. And Rabotai, I think the power in this idea is that you cannot build it if you don't have everyone. When we read about the acceptance of the Torah, they get, it gets accepted, yachtav, they accept it together, spirituality happens only, it is built only when Jews are holding hands, when they have their arms around each other. The Beit HaMikdash was magnificent. But in the second Beit HaMikdash, even though they were great tzaddikim and they didn't do anything wrong, Senat Chinam, division between them, was enough already for the Beit HaMikdash to be destroyed. And what most people don't understand is they think that the destruction of the temple was a punishment 
for Sinat Chinam. And the Maharal shares a very powerful idea. God doesn't really punish people. You see, in our version of God, this guy up in the sky, long beard, he's got in one hand, you know, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? The, one of those money, guns that you know, spits out the money dollars, right? In one hand, he's got one of those. In the other hand, he's got a lightning bolt. You know, you do mitzvot, he shoots the money at you, you know? You do the averot, he kills you with the lightning, right? That's how we see God, right? That, right? But it's not how it is at all. In fact, in fact, the Maharal explains that the function of these ideas operates like something that we say each and every morning in the tefillah. In our prayers we say, Anyone that learns halachot every day, they become a master in halacha, guaranteed that he's ben olam haba. How do we see that? Shene'emar, halichot, Olam lo. What's the translation of those words? Halichot olam, the ways of the world, lo are to him. The ways of the world are to him. Al tekre halichot, don't read it halichot, the ways of the world. Ela halachot. So now let's substitute the way the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the uh, Braita is telling us. Don't read halichot olam lo, the ways of the world are his. Rather, halachot olam lo. Person who is uh, careful with all that, with every halacha. They're stringent, they're strict. They do, they live the life uh, the way a Jew is supposed to do. Olam lo, the world is for him. Rav Shach used to say that. That's why a sadiq, a perfect sadiq, is capable, sadiq gozer, of praying or even saying that something should happen, and it happens. Why? Because halachot olam lo. It's not a reward. If the world was created, it was sustained, it's there to be able to allow for people to live their best Jewish halachic Torah lives, then when someone is doing that, the world exists to serve that person. I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about the very laws of nature themselves. Ilav, briti, yomam, valayla, if not for the Torah, I would not have uh, cemented in the rules of nature a sadiq, so to speak, with his good deeds or a sadiqet, they are supposed to be able to not, uh, you know, like zapping things magically, but the universe is supposed to bring the things that they need to their doorstep. There's a story in the Gemara where Rava was a very poor man. A poor man comes and knocks at his door and Rava says to the man, can I get you something to eat? And the guy says, yes, I'll have some pheasant. <laughs> Rava looks at him, he's, <laughs> he's like, pheasant? He goes, you think I have pheasant for you? And the poor man says to Rava, he says, maybe you don't have it, but the pasuk says, Poteach et yadecha umazbiya lechol God grants, opens his hand, and he grants lecholchai, every living thing, ratzon, that which they desire. Obviously, uh, it means within certain level of parameters. He says, I don't need you to have pheasant. You're just the messenger. You're Uber Eats. The, the food, the thing that I need is coming from God. And God has pheasant. Ravah is laughing, like, laughing at the guy, and while this exchange is happening, there's a knock at the door, and Ravah's sister comes to visit him, she hasn't seen him in a long time. And because she hasn't seen him in a long time, she brings him something very uh, delicacy to eat. And what does she bring him? Pheasant. Rava opens it, sees the pheasant. <laughs> he calls the Ani. He says, dinner is served. 
Halachot olam lo. A person who lives their life with that level of emunah, so the world, is, it's, it bends itself, it molds itself. Do you think Rava's sister was aware why she needed to decide to come visit her brother only then? And when she's in the store of wonderful treats to bring the brother that you haven't seen in a long time, ink, right? Does she know why she chose off the shelf of all the things she chose that out? She has no idea. But the world, the universe, the malachi, nature, it bends and molds and shapes the world so that the outcome should come out that way. Halachot olam lo. Rabotai, such is the nature of God's reward and punishment. It is not that we get slapped or we get money. It's not payback that there's a debt and then God pays. But the mitzvah itself, it is a foundational element within our world. It changes the world for the recipient. And this idea, this concept means that if the Torah tells you, build me a bet amikdash, build it me'et Israel from all the Jews, everyone should give the money. It shouldn't belong to anybody else. It should be their own money from their own heart. That this should be the place, a place that is paved with the love from all the Jewish people. That's what this place is. Once Sinat Chinam came in, if that's the foundation of the Mikdash, the Mikdash collapsed. It wasn't destroyed by God per se. The foundation eroded to the place that there was no, they weren't holding hands anymore. So all of a sudden, if you have a bunch of people standing together holding something up, a couple of people check out because they don't like the other guy, all of a sudden, it's not being held up. All of a sudden, it crumbles, it's destroyed. Rabotai, this is true not just of the sanctuary, it's true of the institutions within our communities too. When you have fights in a school, in a synagogue, other people want to go pray somewhere else. There's a feeling of animosity, of anger in the synagogue. People sit in the shul talking about one another. You don't know what he said, you don't know what he did, can't believe it, you don't know. They're literally speaking Lashon Hara. The foundations of our holiest things begin to erode. You build something holy upon something holy. If your thoughts in your marriage are holy, if you're thinking about the other person, then a marriage can be built on that holy foundation. If it's about selfishness, the marriage will collapse, not as punishment, as the realistic outcome, halachot olam lo, that's just how it works. So Rabotai, we're learning from here something unbelievable. There was a, a man, I'll end with this, who came to Rav Shlomo of Radomsk. He was the big miser in the city, okay? He was the miser of the city. He was the kamtsan of the city. Never gave anybody anything. Anyway, he needed the rabbi for something. He came to the rabbi, poured his heart out. The rabbi gave him advice. The rabbi gave him a blessing. The rabbi made him feel good about himself. And before he left, he took out his checkbook. I don't know if he had a checkbook. Maybe he took out his ruble book. And he wrote out, you know, an astronomical sum of money to give to the rabbi to sustain all the communal initiatives. The people were shocked. This never happened before. The rabbi took the money. He looked at it. He looked at the man. He handed the money back. He said, thank you so much. I appreciate it, but I can't take your money. Anyway, the guy left. All the students came. They're like, this has never happened before. That this guy should give money to communal organizations to help out other people. He's so miserly. You know, he, he, uh, he, he, he figures out every way to beat the system. Right? Why didn't you take it? That was a once-in-a-lifetime offer. And Rav Shlomo Radomsk said something. 
that stuck in my brain as a rabbi for many, many years. You know what he said? He said to his students, if you'd have seen the smile on his face when I returned his money, you'd have understood why I returned his money. He didn't want to give it. I don't want money that he doesn't want to give. You can only build it on this. And I'll tell you something else. I, uh, as a rabbi, uh, I've had to, at times, I've had to fundraise to be able to keep my organization Chazak running in London and as well over here for the synagogue and for what we're doing in New York, LA. And I have, I'm a very bad fundraiser because one of the first rules in fundraising is that when you walk in, you're supposed to say to the person a number that you want. Can we count on you for $10,000, $5,000, $500, $50,000? You're supposed to say a number. Tell the person what you expect or what you want to get from them. That's the first rule. Every fundraiser, they'll tell you. That's one of the first. And then let the person, you know, sweat it in it a little bit. Like, make it, like, like let them. I've never been able to do this. I've never even been able to say a number. <clears throat> I could tell the person what our programs cost. I could tell them what our deficit or what our budget is. I could tell them, you know, various things. But to tell someone I want or I'd like to ask you for X, never. Why? Rav Shlomo Radomsk. What's the look on his face when I ask him for the number? Huh. Ugh. I want what he wants to give. A thousand dollars from him with a smile is much more powerful in terms of what we can go create with that money than $100,000 with a krecht. Ultimately, we are building, what are we building? We're building nothing. Borei Olam is building. The Mishkan, without God deciding to come into it, what was it? Nothing. It was Ikea. You know, a, you built a, you know, the Florgenstabist, right? You built something, that's nothing, an empty shell. For Borei Olam to come into it, it needs to be pure. It needs to be full of love, full of passion, full of connection. So what did God do? God created a Mikdash where the poor man felt, I gave as much as everybody else. I belong here. This is my place. He doesn't feel ashamed to be there. He doesn't feel excluded from being there. He gave us a place, so to speak, as well, that the rich person, if he gave half of his shekel, he wants to give more. You have the kisufim, the gagoim, the desire. He wanted to do more, but they won't let me. What a feeling to bring to the mikdash. It's very special, you know? And I think sometimes it, it helps to be able to remember this, this nikuda. Um, we had with us uh, a, a man whose name was Eliyahu Meir Weiss. Alava shalom. He was a man who used to come to the synagogue. He unfortunately had no place to live. He lived on the streets of Manhattan. He came here with his briefcase. Many of you have probably seen him in his time here, skinny with a little beard. And I tried once. I know the guy had, didn't have any money. I tried to give him a few dollars. And he said to me, Rabbi, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I said, why? He says, I want to work. He says, help me get a job. And I did. We tried a few different things. We actually got him a job at one stage. Right? I want to I want to earn my own way. I don't want any I don't want any money from anybody else. One time he took money. One time. I had a two dollar bill that I got from a big tzaddik. 
And the Sadiq told me, give this money to an Ani and tell the Ani to hold on to it until his mazal improves. And then he can give it to another Ani. Okay? So I said to him, you're such a special guy. I want to give you this $2 that you could give to another Ani. And his eyes lit up. That was the only time he took anything from me. I gave him the $2. I said, here you go. And he stood up and he closed his eyes and he took the $2 and he says, thank you. And he gave it back to me and he says, please be my shaliach <laughs> to give it to another Ani. Isn't that special? Isn't that, isn't that special? He, he, he passed away this year. He passed away. Actually, it's going to be almost a year from when he passed away, right after, right after Purim last year. Um, so Rabbutai, uh, that purity, in, in, uh, the, the purity behind that makes that money so much more powerful you know, uh, and allows it to achieve and allows it to create far more beautiful things. You know, some people, they build a beautiful yeshiva or a beautiful shul and nobody comes. And sometimes you have a little ramshackle hut that becomes a minion factory, and there's minyan after minyan after minyan. You ever see that? It's a bit like, and you think to yourself, why couldn't they? Why couldn't the crowd choose a beautiful shul to uh, to pray all the time and to learn all the time? And why are they learning in a place that bizarre the heat works? There's a siata dishmaya that's given when a person gives with the right way that the thing that they built should actually function in the way that they hope it would. Some people merit it, and some people don't, and it really depends on the way that you build it. Did you build it the right way? Did you build it with the right money? Did you build it with the right heart? And if you did, uh, it gets the beracha of that thing. So too in everything that we do in life, if we build pure, then it becomes, it grows and it becomes very special. And if we build selfish, and if we build exclusionary, and we're pushing people out, then indeed that is also what that place becomes, a place that doesn't welcome in people. Baruch Adonai Amen